0: That happened on a real day in history, uh, much like today. It happened in a real city, the city of Bethlehem, uh, located about 7,000 miles from where we sit this morning. The Son of God was born as a human baby to His virgin mother, Mary. And just a few miles away, uh, there were shepherds abiding in their fields. Uh, It was the typical night shift, just like any other night, Uh, these men were looking after their flocks. And we read in Luke 2, which I ask you to turn to now, that the angel of the Lord appeared to them. And so great was His glory and the radiance and the brightness of His manifestation uh, that these shepherds were afraid. Uh, But the angel said to them, fear not, don't be afraid, for I have come to bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people." My outline this morning comes directly from that verse, Luke 2, verse 10. All the headings are taken right out of the passage, three points this morning. I want us to consider, first of all, that Christmas is good news, secondly, that Christmas is meant to bring great joy, Uh, and thirdly, that Christmas is for all people. Uh, Christmas is good news, Christmas brings great joy. Christmas is to be for all people. First of all, notice with me, Christmas is good news. Uh, We read in Luke 2 verse 10, uh, the angels say unto the shepherds, fear not, for I bring you good news. Uh, Some older translations will say glad tidings. The Greek word is the word euangelion. We often translate that word simply the gospel. It can be legitimately translated in this passage, behold, I bring you the gospel, Of great joy. I bring you good news, glad tidings. I bring you the gospel, the evangel. Well, what is the gospel? Uh, If you uh, attend Emmanuel regularly, member of the church here, we talk about the gospel all the time. What is the biblical gospel? Now, you understand this. You have the Word of God. You have the Bible, and the Bible is more than the gospel. Uh, The Bible is essentially a revelation of God to man. It tells us about God. It tells us about uh, what duty He requires of mankind. It tells us about how He enters into relationship with us. Uh, it tells us of the things to come, the world to come. The Bible is more than the gospel, but if we had to distill it down to the essential message of the Bible, uh, what is the, 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 the message at the epicenter of the Word of God? Uh, it would be the gospel. It's the central message of the Scriptures, the good news. So, therefore, it is of the utmost importance that we understand the gospel and that we get the gospel right. Uh, now, of course, even as I say that, you know if you can get the gospel right, you can get it wrong, and many people have gotten it wrong. Uh, many people, even in the first century, got the gospel wrong. The Apostle Paul would say to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 1, uh, verse 8, but now if we or even an angel preach to you any other gospel than the one that we have preached to you, let him be a curse. The false gospels are as old as the true gospel itself. In our own day, there are many false gospels afoot. Uh, some of them we know by their names. Uh, we might speak of the social gospel. Oh, the this social gospel? Well, the social gospel contains with it the idea that the redemption that's to be had, the great thing that God is doing, is to bring about some kind of social renewal in the world, an alleviation of poverty and affliction and diseases and things like that. It's a false gospel. Uh, You've heard of the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Uh, That is the idea uh, that what God is doing in the world is is by believing on Jesus and having a relationship with Him, uh, uh, God is going to increase your material happiness. And if you have enough faith in the gospel, you'll have health, wealth, and prosperity. It's a false gospel. Uh, There are false gospels that present a confused and distorted view of the person of Jesus. Uh, There are false gospels that confuse and distort the nature of sin and grace. And there are false gospels that confuse the necessary response to the gospel message. There are some false gospels that are false uh, precisely because they're incomplete. Uh, the great theologian and Christian writer J.I. Packer uh, includes this quote in so many of his books. Uh, it's something like, uh, a half-truth masquerading as a whole truth becomes a complete untruth. A half-truth masquerading, pretending to be a whole truth becomes a complete untruth. Uh, So, so the message that God loves you and wants a relationship with you, that's not the biblical gospel. the message that God came to heal the world's brokenness, that's not the biblical gospel. Even the call to repent and believe is not an adequate presentation of the biblical gospel. All these messages, though not technically incorrect. They become false gospels insofar as they are half-truths, masquerading as the whole truth. They then become complete untruths. So, what then is the biblical gospel? What is the good news? What are the glad tidings? What is this message that I believe, and I hope many of you also believe, is at the center of God's revelation to man? It's Christmas Day 2022. It's wonderful to see all of you assembled here. There's lots of you I don't recognize, that's great. Glad you can be with us this morning. Uh, More than anything that I want for you, Christmas Day 2022, is to understand with perfect clarity what the gospel message is. I don't want you to have ambiguous or fuzzy notions about what it is, I want you to understand with perfect clarity what the biblical gospel is because because it is your only hope of salvation. We must understand the good news about what God has done in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, if we're to be saved. So, what then is the biblical gospel? I wonder if you could answer that question. I had an assignment in seminary. Uh, I was required uh, to state the gospel in one word, and then I was to state it in a sentence, and then I was to state it in a paragraph, and then I was to present it in a full-page essay. And the assignment illustrated a biblical idea. The gospel is so simple and so clear, it can be presented in very short compass. It could also be presented with greater detail and at greater length than it often is in the Bible, where we're given more details, more texture, more data and information. If you wanted a one-word summary of the gospel, you might take the name of our church, Emmanuel, God with us, or perhaps the title Christ, the long foretold one who would come and be the savior of the Lord's people. If you wanted a one verse summary, you might think of the verse we considered last Sunday night, John 3.16, most well known verse in the Bible, at least in the West. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Another good summary is found in 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a trustworthy saying, deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Excellent summaries of the gospel. If you wanted a slightly longer sort of passage length summary of the gospel, you might look to the end of Luke's gospel, in Luke 24, where Jesus uh, tells His disciples that it was necessary that the Christ would come and die and rise again according to the Scriptures, that the gospel of the forgiveness of sins might be preached among all the peoples of the world. You might look at 1 Corinthians 15, where the Apostle Paul reminds the Corinthians of the things of first importance, uh, that the Christ had to come and suffer and die and rise again according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared among many witnesses, starting with Peter, if you wanted a chapter-length summary, you could look at the sermon Peter preaches in Acts 2 or the sermon Paul preaches in Acts 13. If you wanted an entire epistle-length presentation of the gospel, you might go to the book of Romans, where not only are we given the gospel, but many of the entailments of the gospel as well. If we take all these various summaries of the gospel, if we wanted to distill it down into one sentence, what's the good news? What are the glad tidings? What's the gospel that is the central revelation and message of the Bible? we might go with a definition like this. The gospel is the good news of what God has done in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in His incarnation, death, and resurrection to make a way of salvation for sinners who come to Him in repentance and faith. The gospel is the good news of what God has done in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in his incarnation, death, and resurrection, to make a way of salvation for sinners who come to him in repentance and faith. The gospel is, in the first instance, news. It's good news. That is to say, the gospel is about flesh and blood history. The gospel is about historic events that took place in time, that took place in flesh. It's good news, it's events that took place in history good news about what God has done. Uh, Any presentation of the gospel that begins with what we do or have done is getting it backwards. The gospel is always the message. The good news is always the message about what God has done. He is the actor in the gospel. It's about what He has accomplished, He has initiated, and He has achieved by His mercy and grace. The gospel is the good news of what God has done in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe in the Godhead, one God existing in three persons, eternally, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God the Father sends forth His Son, the second person of the Trinity, to be born a man. And it is in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that our redemption is achieved, uh, that the gospel is accomplished. But how so? The gospel is the good news about what God has done in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in His incarnation, in His death. And in his resurrection. In his incarnation and in his coming into the world to be a human man. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Incarnus, in flesh. God came, God the Son, in human flesh for our sakes. His incarnation, his death. Jesus Christ died as a substitutionary sacrifice for sinners. At the center of the gospel is penal substitutionary atonement. It is the cross of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus in my place. That where I belonged, he took my spot. The punishment that I deserved, he took to himself. 1 Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. The death of the Son of God incarnate is at the heart of the biblical gospel. But he didn't remain in the grave. Thirdly, he rose from the dead, according to the Scriptures. He rose in triumph over sin and death. He rose that we might be justified. He rose to secure our redemption. And all of this in accordance with the Scriptures. Uh, Jesus takes pains to explain to his disciples, and they would indeed take pains to explain to the world that it was necessary that the Christ die and rise from the dead. That this was long foretold, in the scriptures. The gospel is the good news about what God has done in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in His incarnation, death, and resurrection to make a way of salvation for sinners who come to Him in repentance and faith. The gospel includes a summons. The gospel includes an invitation. Me simply stating the gospel message doesn't save anybody. The gospel includes a call. Come unto me that your souls may live. Turn from your sins. Put your faith in God's provision of salvation for sinners. It's an invitation. It's a call to come, turning from sin, putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the only mediator that your soul might be saved. And indeed, it is the only way of salvation. This is the good news. What God has done in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to make a way of salvation for sinners like us, through His incarnation, death, and resurrection, for all those who come to Him in repentance and faith. Do we have that message in our passage this morning? We have it in seed form. Luke 2.10, fear not, for I bring you the gospel, the good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. And how is the news summarized? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. If we understand those words and how they're interpreted in Scripture, we have the essence of the gospel message. The good news the angels preached that night to these shepherds is that unto them was born that very day a Savior. A Savior. Do you remember why it is that Jesus would, in fact, be named Jesus, Yeshua. Matthew 1, 25 tells us, you shall call his name Jesus, why? For he will save his people from their sins. If you're here this morning and you're human, you need a Savior. If you're here this morning and you're breathing, you need a Savior. If you're here this morning, under the sound of my voice, you can hear what I'm saying to you, you need a Savior. Every one of us, we violated the law of God. Our fundamental problem is not with our external circumstances. It's not with the environment in which we were reared. It's not that we have unrealized hopes and dreams and unfulfilled expectations. The problem, my friend, that you have and that I have is that we're sinners, that we're lost, that we're without hope and without God in the world unless God does something, unless He sends us a Savior. And that's what was announced to the shepherds. Unto you is born this day a Savior. What does he say next? Who is Christ? What does that mean, Christ? The word Christos in the Greek, synonym for Messiah, same title. The chosen one, the elect one, God's anointed, the one who was long foretold in the Scriptures, who was anticipated several thousand years prior in Genesis 3.15, who was anticipated 2,000 years prior with Abraham, uh, he was told that from his line would come one who would bring about the deliverance and blessing to the nations. He was foretold 1,500 years prior, Deuteronomy 18, that there would come a prophet greater than Moses, and God would put his words in this prophet's mouth, and the people would listen to him. It was foretold 1,000 years earlier in 2 Samuel 7 and 1 Chronicles 19, when David was told that there would come a son from his line, Whose throne would be established forever and whose kingdom would have no end. And he would establish justice and righteousness and peace and deliverance for his people. And in the fullness of time, this Christ came. Unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ, was the last title, the Lord. He's Christ the Lord. That is to say, he is the one who will reign sovereignly over all. And he is the one to whom all of us will answer. Christ is the Lord. Uh, He is the only sovereign of the universe over all the peoples and over our hearts. And we will indeed answer to him as the Lord over all. But I've not yet told you what are the two most wonderful things about this passage and this announcement, this good news. Yes, he is the Savior, Christ the Lord. But there's two other things revealed in this gospel message that are extraordinary. First, he's born to you. The Savior, the Christ, the Lord was born. The Son of God has become man. He is pleased with man as man to dwell. The longed-for Messiah, the Savior, the Christ, the Lord, He has come in human flesh. Who can comprehend this? What mystery is here? But this is the mystery the angel announced to the shepherds. Christ is born. He's born. There's a baby a few miles from here who is God incarnate, and He will be the Savior of the world. Can you imagine? But still perhaps more wonderful is that He's born unto you. God the Son, incarnate in human flesh, the Savior, the Christ, the Lord, born unto you. Now, I don't know how you hear that when you read that. I can assure you it's not meant to stroke our vanity. Or to accentuate how how worthy and great we are. Finally, someone is recognizing how awesome I am. No, that is unto you. Unto you. Sinners as you are. Lost as you are. Unto you and me is born this day. A Savior. Unto you has come the Christ, the Lord so that you might be saved from all your acts of lawlessness and sin that have created a chasm between you and your Creator. Unto you is born a Savior. Christmas is good news. Now, secondly and more briefly, Christmas is good news of great joy. You think so? Sinners Ruined under the curse, lost under the fall, without hope and without God in the world. Unto us is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Yeah, I think it's good news of great joy. I don't have to die in my sins. I don't have to perish. I don't have to be a slave to Satan's bondage. I can be saved. A Savior has come. I can be right with God and can be justified in His sight and have all my sins forgiven, all the things that make me ashamed, all the guilt that is inherent in my heart from the things that I've done and thought and said. But the angel announces, I have good news. None need perish, for unto you is born a Savior. It's good news of great joy. And it's not good news of great joy just because, like, the angel was joyful in giving it. Uh, though I think he was, the joy is ours. This is meant to be good news, a gospel, glad tidings that rejoices the heart, that revives the soul. Hope is meant to dawn in our hearts that that even I, a sinner and a rebel against God, I can be saved. I, I can have my sins forgiven and can be right with God. I mentioned we considered Sunday night, John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Do you know what the next verse says? John three seventeen. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And do you know why God did not need to send his son into the world to condemn the world? Because of what the next verse says. For those who do not believe on his name are condemned already. For me to die in my sins and to be damned, I don't need Jesus to come for that. That's the status quo. Jesus Christ is never born of a woman, never sent forth in the fullness of time, never comes into this world. You and I will live and die and perish everlastingly under the just wrath of God. But if He comes, if he comes, we can be saved. God didn't send His son into the world to condemn the world. The world was condemned already. No, he comes on a rescue mission. God sends His Son in the fullness of time, born of a woman born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came. As like a firefighter to a burning building to rescue those within. And friends, for all those who know themselves to be sinners, who know something of the danger that their soul is in, as one who has sinned against the law of God, this can do nothing other than rejoice our hearts and come to us as good news of great joy. That though I have sinned so wickedly and ignobly before the face of my God, He has made every provision in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that I might be saved, that I might be rescued. Christmas means good news. Christmas is meant to bring great joy. Thirdly and finally, Christmas is for all people. Christmas is for all people. The angel says, behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all people. He didn't have any fingers behind his back. There's no fine print. There's no nuance in the Greek. All means all. All without exception. This message is for all. It's for all kinds of people. People with different backgrounds and experiences. Uh, People who are young and old, rich and poor. Uh, people who are educated and uneducated, Uh, people who come from uh, nuclear families, broken families, blended families. It's good news for all people. Uh, It's good news for every ethnicity, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Uh, It's it's, it's always hilarious to me when, when, when opponents will try to act as though Christianity is a construct of the West, or it's a white man's religion. As best I can tell, there are more Christians, genuine Christians now in China than there are in the United States. There's certainly more genuine Christians in Africa than there are in the United States. Don't let anyone tell you that Christianity is the white man's religion or the black man's religion. Christ belongs to the world. And Christ was born in that part of the world that touches Africa and Asia and Europe. He would be a savior for all kinds of people. He would be a Savior for the whole world. This is good news of great joy for everyone, for all the peoples of the world. That means also all kinds of sinners. Some of you have perhaps committed terrible wrongs. I know for a fact several people here have committed crimes. Uh, Some of us, though we may not have committed crimes or things that would necessarily shock everyone in this room if they were known, Any sin against our Creator is enough to bring us under His just judgment. You don't have to be a murderer. You don't have to be a thief. You don't have to have snared people into dealing drugs or things like that. You don't have to be a criminal. If you're just a liar, that will do. If you gossip, if you're bitter in your heart toward other people, if you're consumed with pride and selfishness and self-love, Uh, These things invite the just wrath of a holy God. Those who have sinned in very public and extreme sort of ways, those who have committed those sorts of respectable sins that we just sort of bat an eye on, he's come for all kinds of sinners. The gospel is for all people. Christmas is for all people. All of you here, and indeed everyone under heaven, if they would believe the gospel, they will be saved. If you would believe the gospel, you would be saved. But I remind you now in closing, me stating this message or somehow getting you to sign a card that has this message pasted on it doesn't do anything. The gospel involves a call. It involves a summons, an invitation. Sinners among all the peoples of the world to come turning from sin, to put your trust in Jesus Christ and to become a follower of Him. You must come He's born unto you. The offer is for you. God has sent forth His Son as a Savior, Christ the Lord, so that if you would believe on Him, you could be saved. I said earlier, I'm I'm delighted to see several folks I don't recognize. I don't know why you're here. Maybe a family member asked you to come. Maybe your church is closed this morning. Uh, Maybe you're one of those folks who tries to attend an assembly like this on Easter and Christmas. As I prepared this message and prayed in light of this message, I prayed that you would come. And I prayed that you would hear the gospel, and I prayed that you would believe. You may say that sounds opportunistic of you to leverage Christmas Day. I don't care at all. (laughs) If you're outside of Christ and you die this morning, Christmas 2022, there is nothing for you but everlasting torment in hell. I believe that. And though I may not be able to persuade you, I suspect you know in your heart of hearts that's true. You know there is a God. You know you sinned against him you know you will one day stand before him. What hope do you have to meet that great day? How's your sin working out for you? Your life, your hopes, your dreams? Maybe your best efforts at your good outweighing your bad? Do you think that will pass muster? Before the face of an all perfect, all just, and holy God. But my friend, I have good news of great joy for you. In the fullness of time, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was born. And I do believe in his incarnation, his death, and his resurrection from the dead. There's salvation for sinners those who turn from their sin, confessing them to God, and who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ who is the Savior of the world. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would Seal the word to all of our hearts. Enable each one of us to see your own dear Son, incarnate for us, who died for us, who rose for our justification. Enable each one to hold Christ by faith in their hearts, to trust in him and to have the assurance beyond any shadow of a doubt. That there is salvation in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, uh, that you would search us, that you would shatter, break down every obstacle, every barrier uh, from this message having its way with us, and us becoming inheritors of everlasting life through our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Please forgive all of our sins. Please save us to the uttermost. Please. Bring us into heaven everlastingly with great joy and rejoicing. We pray together in Jesus' name, amen. In closing, we're going to sing a song. It's familiar to our church family. Uh, it's called Of the Father's Love Begotten. The song is about 1,500 years old. Christians have been singing it throughout the centuries. Uh, I want to ask two things of you as we sing this song in closing. I want to ask that, if you know it, uh, sing it out loudly in worship to Christ. And I want to ask, secondly, that uh, you reflect upon the truths of the words and that you sing them in truth as an act of worship to the Son of God. Let's stand together and sing.